Well, uh, once again, if this is your first Sunday, I want to, uh, here at Linworth, want to welcome you. I'm glad that you uh, can spend this uh, time with us. And uh, we are, you know, I, I actually, I wanted to, the way I, I kind of wanted to start this morning, I wasn't planning on this, but my morning just kind of said, this is the way you're going to start. So if you have ever had one of those mornings where things just don't go quite right, of course, none of you have never had that. I'm the only person that that happens to. So I wake up in the morning to kind of go uh, review my, my message and uh, Aaron had went to Costco the night before and got some cinnamon toast. You ever get the cinnamon toast from Costco? It's amazing. And so I was excited about a cup of coffee and a couple pieces of cinnamon toast. I put them in there. The night before, we had cooked something in the, in the, the oven there, and it was turned a different way. I was too tired to kind of see what it was. And, and yeah, yeah, the alarm went off, and, then I, and from the corner, I see smoke coming across. So, but I'll tell you what, I ate that toast. I was not going to let that cinnamon toast because it kind of caramelized. So I'm up for my carcinogens. They're all, they're all happening right now. Uh, and so I'm getting ready to leave and, um, of course, get in my car. I'm all excited. And what happens? Doesn't start. Yeah, that's right. Open up the hood, jiggle a few things, pray. Bam, it starts. So I made it. So anyways, glad that I'm here. Glad that you're here. Um, we have been uh, walking through. Uh, first Samuel, and we're kind of in the latter part of it, and um, it's been a great, great series. And so I wanted to tell you kind of a little bit about uh, where we're going this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of walk or run or race through three chapters. There's a lot of verses here, chapters 24 through 26. Uh, the first chapter, 24, and then 26, they're somewhat similar. And so we're going to paraphrase ourselves through the first one, and we're going to comment a little bit. And then we're going to get back to it when we end up walking through chapter 26. And then in between these two chapters, of course, is 25. And we're going to quickly touch on uh, that story and an amazing woman named Abigail. And we're going to pull out a few things there that we can learn from. And uh, as we see David kind of walk through this portion of his life on his way to becoming the next king of Israel. And then from these chapters, I think we can learn from David how to handle situations in our lives when life doesn't seem fair, when it seems to be slanted against us, where we can't seem to catch a break, and even how this frustration can lead to maybe rash decisions that could have really disastrous effects in our lives, and where we might be tempted to take revenge or take things into our own hands and try to fix these things. But before we go on, I wanted to encourage you this week. um, uh, David wrote of course, a lot of psalms. And there's a few psalms that are connected in this time of his life. And I want to point out three to you, uh, 27, 31, and 54. Write those down, 27, 31, 54. And uh, they kind of sum up the the spiritual wrestling and this conflict and and praise of God, what he was going on, and the things that were happening in his heart. And they show that what was shaping his life to make him a man of of God. So I want to encourage you this week uh, to read those. And so as we continue through, there's other um, psalms that deal with that uh, or in that situation, but those are just three for you. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll continue on. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We, we thank you that um, it's living and active. It teaches, it corrects, it trains. Um, Lord, we uh, just pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us uh, through your word this morning. Thank you for uh, just the uh, the books and the, the studies that I've read that help so much in, in uh, bringing this together. I pray that you bless those people and, 
that you bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's get going here. Now, first I'm in 24. We're going to kind of touch back a little bit on 23 to get to 24. But when we last kind of met David here, he had rescued and uh, this, uh, this place, this village called uh, Kalah from the Philistines. And uh, they were so appreciative and so happy about this that the citizens reported where, to King Saul where David was. And so because of this, Saul then again almost catches David. And uh, then David and his men, they, they end up moving uh, to the desert of Zip where Jonathan comes in to encourage him. Um, not 100% sure, but I think this is the last time they see each other. Later, he narrowly escapes capture in the desert of Maon when um, Saul miraculously somehow has to break off this chase of David because he got word about the Philistines attacking. And, of course, God had nothing to do with that, pulling him off of that. But uh, this is all recorded in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23. And so David and his, and his motley crew, they're on the run again. There's like 600 of these guys. And they come to this place called En Gedi. And this is a, a, a portion there that is kind of an oasis. It's, a, um, from what I understand, it's on the western shore of the Dead Sea. There's um, these barren mountains that rise almost straight up. They're made of limestone. And because of that, they've been cut with water and different things. And so there's, there's steep ravines. There's all kinds of caverns and honeycomb places within there. And so David, and he's with his men, and, and uh, they're, they're running from Saul, as that seems to be his life. And they found this cave that was large enough to house about 600 of these guys. And so they're hiding all the way in the back. And you just have to try to imagine, maybe there's, there's passageways and crevices and things that they're there. And so we pick up the story now uh, in verses 1 through 3, where um, every middle school boy's favorite Bible passage resides. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll figure it out in just a second, okay? It's in page 246 in your, uh, your, uh, um, the Bibles that we have here for you. It says that when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And so then Saul took 3,000 chosen men, the best there, out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of wild goats rocks. And he came to the sheep folds by the way where there was a cave. I wonder which cave this was. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Whoever says the Bible's not real is crazy, okay? Now, David and his men were, were uh, you know, where they were, they were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And so Saul had no idea that they were there. And so Saul, he has, the, here's the call of nature. And he steps inside the nearest cave. And, and little does he know that the man that he's chasing after is there just probably a few yards away from him. And so, you know, you can just, uh, you know, imagine the scene or not, if you don't want to go there, of this happening. And uh, Saul's kind of taking care of business. In the back, you know, you think you got 600 pairs of eyes that are just looking, you know, or maybe they're hiding, who knows what they're doing. And, uh, but David's men, they're, they're like excited. They're beside themselves there because to them, freedom is just around the corner. Thinking, and this is the moment that David has been waiting for. And it says, the, David's men say in verse four, and the men of David said to him, here's the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So somewhere they, they, they there was a message 
that they believe was told to David here. And they believe it is that, that this is the time. And so in their thought process, they think that this is God's will for David to kill Saul. Because what has Saul been doing? Chasing him down to try to kill him. You know, um, so it's kind of like doing God a favor here. We can just kind of knock him off right now and everything will be done. And so what happens? David uh, moves forward. He, he creeps forward. He's about to plunge a, a dagger into the back of Saul. And no, that's not really what happened. He doesn't do that. He cuts off a little corner of Saul's robe. And then something interesting kind of happens. It says, and afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That's in verse 5. And then he tells his men in verse 6, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so as we picture this, we have, we have David, and he's, kinda, he's feeling bad about what, what he did. His heart has been pricked. Uh, as we'll look at a little bit later, I believe it's the Holy Spirit talking to him about what, what is going on. And his men, they're probably bummed out because David did not whack Saul and take him out. and They didn't kill him. And in this process, David says no. And as their leader, he persuades them not to kill Saul. And then so meanwhile, Saul has no idea what has gone on. And he leaves um, the cave. And, and he just doesn't have a clue that anything weird just happened. And it was pretty weird. So, And then the rest of 1 Samuel 24 it has uh, two dialogues, one by David. Verses 8 through 15, where, um, excuse me, he lays out his case to Saul about how it's, you know, he's not a threat. He's not a problem. Saying, you know, why are you doing this to me? I am but a flea. I mean, I'm a speck. I, I, I like you. I have nothing against you. It says there's no treason in me. I haven't sinned against you, even though you want to kill me and hunt me down. And then there's a, a dialogue by Saul. And that's 16 through 21. So Saul is, is responding and with a tear in his eye. Saul acknowledges that David, you know, David, you're right. You're, you're, you're right. And uh, that David, you're more righteous than me. And he asks the Lord to reward David. And, and he acknowledges that David, well, surely he's going to be king. But in this process, we kind of see a continued, you know, we've talked a lot about who Saul is in his heart. He asked David to swear by him, the Lord, that, he would not cut off his offspring. And most importantly, because it's all about him, don't destroy my name, even though I've been trying to kill you for no apparent good reason for the last four years or something to that effect. Okay, <clears throat> my voice is getting funny. This should be interesting. All right, tuck that chapter away. Put it in your back pocket. We'll get back to it, all right? So the second story, the second part of this is chapter uh, 25. And here someone has kidnapped David and it inserted an imposter. It's like a completely different guy shows up here. So this is a long chapter. I am going to, uh, excuse me, try to uh, paraphrase it here for you. And, uh, and so we can get a little bit idea of what is going on here. Uh, this chapter is about David and, and Abigail. And, and so David rose and he went down uh, to the wilderness of Param. And uh, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep. And a thousand goats. I don't have any of those things, so I must not be rich. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal or Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. 
The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. So it doesn't sound like he's a, a very nice guy. And so um, he owns a lot of these sheep and these animals. And uh, it comes about a time of the year where they needed to be sheared. Um, in the meantime, David's men had been out in this area. And in essence, they've been kind of protecting and not letting anybody kind of bother these things. And the, the, the workers there acknowledged that David's men were doing well. And so David, uh, as is custom in that time, when this happens, there's, there's a festival, they're celebrating, and, um, and there's food. And so David sends some of his guys very politely to, to ask that we've been no threat to you. We've been taking care of the people. Could you please give us some food? And so here's Nabal, great guy. Nabal answered David's servants. Who is David? I'm in verse uh, 10 here. Uh, who's, where are we? Oh, yeah. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There's many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't even know where? And so this did not go over very well for our um, step in David here. And so what does he say immediately in 13? He says, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, or basically with David, while 200 remained with the baggage. And so this is not good. He's going to go take out this little village here. Abigail gets uh, word of this. She decides something has to be done. Um, And so she gathers some food, and she goes to meet David. And uh, I'm around 24, 25 here. And so she meets him, she falls on her face and, and uh, fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Put this on me. Please let your servant speak then into your ears and, let me, and, and hear the words of your servant. In other words, let me reason with you. Can you hold on for a second? Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal for as his name is, so is he Nabal. Now, advise wives. You know, she was dissing on her husband. I don't, I don't know if you want to, Say that about your husband. I'm, you know, I wouldn't encourage it. If you think you need to do that, you come into my office. We'll do some counseling uh, with both of you and see where that goes, okay? But uh, he, she goes on, please forgive the trespasses of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, talking about David, a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. And then she said down in 31, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, could you remember me? Remember your servant. And so she's getting through to him and he's listening. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood, excuse me, from blood guilt. And from avenging myself with my own hand. Verse 34. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning here, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received her uh, from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. Here, so. Wow, what a woman, huh? It's quite amazing. Now think about this for a second as we kind of, once again, grab a picture of what's going on here. David basically has forgiven 
Saul, he releases a man who, you know, twice who's been, been chasing him all over the desert, trying to kill him. Saul has tried to, throw, to kill David twice with a spear. He's tried to get the Philistines to kill David by sending David out in charge of, uh, of men to do battle. Saul put a price tag of 100 foreskins for the hand of his daughter in marriage, which meaning he had to go out and battle and do some things there uh, and hoping that, that would ha- something bad would happen to him and he would lose his life. Saul even sends assassins to David's home to bring him back so Saul could kill him personally. And for all that, David does not harm Saul. And then now some idiot decides to trash David, not give him a little something to eat, and David is ready to slaughter him and, and, and the people in his village with 400 of his own troops. Now, I'm not really sure what that's, that's all about completely, and we can only surmise as to why we see this different David here. We don't really have a lot of time to get in there, but you know, maybe David was just tired of always doing the right thing, you know, with nothing to show for it other than constantly needing to look over his shoulder. And maybe he just snaps. You know, maybe it's the last straw and he decides to take things into his own hand. And and anger rises up and he lets the anger invade his heart and he begins to act on it by seeking revenge on this low-life guy who decides not to be nice to him. You know, there's a saying by uh, Ramada Suzuki. It says this. There comes a point where you no longer care if there's a light at the end of the tunnel or not. You're just sick of the tunnel. And you want to get out of it. And before we give David kind of a hard time here, you know, this can be like us, right? I mean, if we were really truthful about our hearts sometimes, you know, we're saved by grace. God has, has just rescued us but sometimes we forget about how good God is and what he's done and where he's taken us and, and how he's healed us. And, and, and then we, we wonder sometimes how we can come to, on a Sunday morning to church, listen to God's work, sing, talk to one another, and just have this great day and just kind of be in the Lord. And then we wake up the next morning and we're on the freeway and somebody cuts us off. And then we act like the devil's offspring, you know. <laughs> and it's like we, we complete, come a completely different person. I mean, what, what is that about, right? And so uh, David is a real person with real emotions, emotions of love and emotions of anger. Uh, and so uh, life, you know, it's kind of weird that way, right? We're a saint one day and a sinner the next. So we're, giving, we're going to try to give David here a little bit of grace. All right, so let's see if we can learn some lessons from this story. All right? First lesson uh, from this story uh, with David is to have a teachable heart. So... David is ready to, to kill these people. He's got a sword. He's ready to do some damage. damage. And then he meets this woman named Abigail for the first time. And what's interesting is that, you know, he could have just dismissed her. But he listens to her. And not only does he listen to her, but he changes his plans. And to me, it just shows that, in this sense, that David has a teachable heart. And he's flexible enough to, to listen and to change the plan, if need be. And that's a part of what uh, a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart needs. We need to be listeners. We need to have a teachable spirit when God is using somebody in our lives to talk to us. Instruction from friends, instructions from mentors, from parents, uh, from God, the Holy Spirit, as he talks to us. Second lesson, listening to Abigail's 
in our lives. So listening to the Abigails in our lives. Let me ask you this question. Who do you have in your life that you will allow to speak into your life in order to turn you away from actions that you might regret? Do you have any Abigails in your life? Have you had any Abigails enter your life when you were walking down such a path? All of us, you know, at times we, we, we are in rough spots and we are ignoring God. Our anger, whatever it is, 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 is risen up. We just, we, we block that off and we're walking down the wrong path. And we all need wise and sensible Abigails in our lives that are, that are willing to risk us as they talk to us, getting mad at them in order to turn us away from making bad choices and going against God's word and the things that we know are right. So do you have an Abigail in your life? And then another question would be, are you an Abigail to somebody else? Are you willing to be an Abigail to somebody else? See, that's why community is so important. When we're Christians that are by ourselves, we, we can get in a lot of trouble. It's why we encourage you to, to get engaged and get involved with a, a small group, a life group, um, so that you can live out life. And, and when those, these circumstances come up, you have the opportunity to be an Abigail in somebody's life and there's also maybe an opportunity for somebody to be an Abigail in your life. And Abigail is kind of like, you know, Proverbs 25.11. 25.11. It's like a living example of this verse. It says this, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's beautiful. But I want you to notice something here. You'll notice that it takes two to communicate, doesn't it, Right? It takes one to speak, one to have the, to be brave, to, to be an Abigail. But it takes one to listen. And so the questions again, the challenges this morning, are you willing to speak when the time comes? Are you willing to speak when there, there's something going on in your life? Are you willing to risk a friendship? It, I, in my life and, and in Aaron's life, we have regrets. We have regrets. We've been involved with so many couples. And there's, there's been some that we just knew something was wrong and it was going wrong. And in, in that time of our life, we were afraid to confront them. We've gotten over that. And uh, we have lost friends. And God has used us to save marriages because we decided to be Abigail's in people's lives. Okay, so the other part here is, you know, are you willing to speak when the time goes? Something to realize here about Abigail is that she not only um, saved uh, Nabal's life, but what she really did is she saved David's reputation and his journey to becoming a king of Israel. So it was very important that she did speak up. The other part of this is David was willing to listen. And so do you have a heart that is willing to listen to people when, like Abigail, uh, they go to great lengths to speak truth into your lives. Can that be you? Is that you? If that happens to you, make that you, okay? I, uh, I just encourage you. Okay, our last story. We're going to move into chapter 26 here. 
And it's going to help. Uh, we're going to circle around with some lessons from chapter 24 and David and Saul's first encounter. And it's similar in a lot of ways, but it's, it's definitely different. And as you read these stories, you can kind of begin to see how God is using these events and these situations, these traumatic things in, in David's life and these scenarios to help him grow to become the king that he needed to be in order to lead Israel. And so it seems like God is pushing him into these situations where he has to listen to the Holy Spirit and he has to make right choices. It's not easy, not just the easy and expedient choices. So, so what do we have here? Let's kind of bust through this a little bit here. The Ziphites that have informed Saul, um, we're in, in chapter 25, uh, that David was hiding. He was hiding somewhere. And um, Saul has his 3,000 men, and they're trying to comb the area, try to find him. He had been um, taking this huge army in pursuit of David. And um, David then, it says, he got news from some spies that Saul had come, and he was camped nearby. And then here's the interesting part. He decides to infiltrate the camp. And so uh, uh, one of the guys, one of his friends said, hey, I'm going to go with you. His name is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm just going to go with Abishah. It's probably not right. It's okay. Sorry, Abishah, or Shay, or Shu, or whatever you are. And he sneaked into Saul's camp at night. And so everybody was in a deep sleep, and we find out that the Lord had, had kind of put this deep sleep over them as you walk into this chapter. And then Abish, Abishah, um, you know, he says to David, you know, Bless his heart, he says this in verse 8. God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now, please, those he says, please, let me pin him to the earth. I mean, in other words, please, let me kill him. With one stroke of spirit, I promise it'll be neat. I'm not going to do it two or three times. I'm just going to go one time, and it'll be done. But we really can't blame Abishah in certain ways. It's kind of the natural a natural impulse after all that is going on for years in the chasing, knowing that, that they may be killed at any time. Um, and just to be clear on this impulse, not the, the killing part of the impulse, okay? But th- that, I don't think that's natural, all right? But the getting revenge, getting revenge for something that has been done wrong to you. And we understand and we know that David has all kinds of reasons to kill Saul. And Abishal knows this. And he feels, man, this is the opportunity. This is a God-given opportunity. It could be all over. We could be free. David could have his revenge, and we can move on. And so that brings us then to kind of the central point in this whole story here and in, 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 and in chapter 24, so both 24 and 26. And that is that David refused, simply refused to kill Saul when he had perfect opportunities to do so. so this question came up again as it did in, in 24. Why didn't David get revenge while he had the chance? Both these times, David spared his life when he could have gotten revenge. The first time, he, he pleaded with Saul. He did the right thing. Did that help with Saul? No. He continued all Saul, relentlessly continued to pursue David to kill him. We, of course, we find him here in chapter 26. In a sermon that, that Chuck Swindoll did, he calls revenge life's most subtle temptation. Life's most subtle temptation. It's there. Who here, I mean, of us, who hasn't felt that? You know, the sting of unfair, somebody being unfair to us, the sting of unfair criticism, or who of us has been surprised or disappointed by somebody in our lives or somebody close to us? 
Maybe it's somebody at work. Uh, maybe you were unfairly denied a promotion because somebody said a rumor or something about you and you were clearly qualified. Uh, maybe it's a coach who passed over you for a position that you were, you know, starting position, you know, you know you deserved it. Or it may have been when your husband or your wife maybe possibly walked out on you. Or maybe it's, you know, your husband or wife getting back at you for something you did, which you don't think you did and it was unfair. And maybe somebody at school lied about something you didn't do and you got in trouble. It wasn't your fault. And you feel like, I just, I need to get, I need to get back at them. I need to do something. Listen to this, friends. Let me tell you something. We have no control over things like that. We, we, can't, we can't control people. We, we wish we could. And we wish that nobody would ever let us down. We wish that nobody would ever disappoint, disappoint us. We wish that nobody would ever turn against us. But it happens. It happens to all of us. And see, that, and that's a fact. We just don't know when that's going to happen. I remember a time. Uh, and I was trying to you know, figure out you know, when this had happened to me. And, and uh, unfortunately, the only memory that came to me was back in high school. And um, at the time, I was uh, the uh, ASB president, like student president. Did they got that here in Ohio? Kind of like the president of the school student thing. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, good, good, all right. So that thing. And for some reason, we were in charge of choosing the cheerleaders. Okay, go figure. So there was a thing, uh, the tryouts, choices were made, uproar, people were not happy, parents are calling in, girls are crying, I'm the head dude. (laughs) I'm just like this whatever, 17-year-old kid. I don't know what to do. It all comes back on me. And, and, but I didn't make the choices. I didn't, I didn't make the decisions. We, had, we decided something. And then good old Mr. Yap. Oh, Mr. Yap. Oh, he'd just say, Rich, Rich, how you doing today? And I'm not making fun of him. This is just literally what he would say. How he would say, no, I made a decision. It's final. That's it. And then he walks away. But who? Yeah, who's getting the calls from the... Yeah, that's me. So that was like unfair, and I just wanted to do something. I wanted to get back at Mr. Yap, but he was my teacher. I couldn't do that, and he did a grade. And, and so I just felt... And, and so we have those feelings that come up to us. But here's the bottom line. We have no control over how people treat us, what they say, and what they do. But here's what we do have control of, right? We do have control over how we respond. It's balls in our court, okay? Folks... We're not going to be able to stop people from attacking us. We're not going to be able to stop people from from hurting us. Because why? We live in a broken world with broken people, us included. And that's just a fact of life. The question then here is, how should we respond when we've been hurt? Or when we've been wounded? When we've been wronged? When we're innocent in a situation? Two options. We can try to get even, revenge. Or we can do what David did. So, Quickly, four lessons we learned from David. When David himself had every, I mean, he, could, he, he had every right to, 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 do, to seek revenge from Saul, both in chapter 24 and 26, because of how he had been wrong for no reason. So, number one, make decisions and choices that reflect God's will. In this situation, make decisions and choices that reflect God's will. In chapter 24, David got so close to Saul 
he could cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And in this chapter, this chapter 26, he took Saul's spear and water jug. Both times David could have easily ended it by taking Saul out, but he did not. It was a choice not to kill Saul. Nobody forced him to make this choice. It was his decision to make. And the reason he made that decision is because he knew it wasn't God's will to kill Saul. And he followed God's will. He says he does not want to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. Um, That's in chapter 24, verse 6. And so David understands, David sees that, that, that Saul is still the king no matter what he did, no matter what issue or whether that he has with, with David, no matter how Saul has treated him, he realizes he's king. And he realized that, that David didn't choose the king. Who chose the king? God did, right? And so by whose authority is he king in occupying this seat? It's by God's authority. David, that was God's will. David recognized this. So one way to think of this is that to attack Saul is to indirectly attack God himself. And David didn't want to do that. So make choices that reflect God's will. And if David can do that, then guys, we can do that too by God's grace, choosing to do God's will. And when the primary way that we choose to do God's will is what? It's from God's word. We need to be digging into God's word. We need to find the answers there. The other ways is from friends and Abigails that come into our life that we can ask questions of. But the primary word way is from God's word. And through God's word, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And that moves us right into our second point. Number two, rely on the Holy Spirit to speak and to direct you. Everything that has happened here is screaming to, to David's friend to just finish this thing, to just, just to kill him, to get it done. But that everything is coming from, from this man's flesh and the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 says, Do not gratify the desires of the flesh, but walk by the Spirit instead. instead. And then in, in chapter 26, verses 9 through 11 here, David says this to Abishah. He says, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down in the battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. <clears throat> Excuse me. So David, he, he got it. He understood. He was listening to God. He knew what God's will was. And it says something very interesting here that tells us and gives us a clue that David was in tune with God, with the Holy Spirit. In verse in chapter 24, when he cut off the corner of Saul's robe, it says in the NIV, it says his conscience was stricken by it. In the ESV, it says, and David's heart struck him. David's heart, his conscience, how God speaks to us often when we're uh, enmeshed with him and filled with the Holy Spirit and we get a, a sense that God has said something and we decide that oh, that's just a weird thought or we, we follow that to find out if it's from God. And so David here, I believe, um, I can't give you 100% on this, but I believe he was listening and hearing from the Holy Spirit and he acted accordingly. 
So in other words, God was talking to David through his spirit, and David listened. All right. Number three, trust that God knows, and in his timing and wisdom, it's God's job to take revenge. Now, that's a nasty sentence, but we're going to roll with it, okay? Um, David knew Saul was wrong. David, you know, Saul knew he was wrong. And David plainly tells him that he's wrong. But David understood something here that perhaps we need to kind of understand and, and get a hold of. Is that when it comes to revenge, God is much better at it than we are. And he tells us to leave it alone and let him do it. And that's, and why is that? It's because, you know, God is God. He's not us. He's not this human being. He's not in a box. He sees all. He understands all. He sees all the different sides of the issue. He knows who's right and he knows who's wrong, no matter how you feel or think about this. He knows what the truth is. And it's, and truthfully, isn't it uh, when we are in that place where we feel we've been wrong, that our, our perspective is clouded from emotions and we're hurt and our judgment can be wrong and we can be rash. Or we only have one side of the story. We don't have everything that is, is happened. And so we're making decisions based on that. We see our side only, but, but God knows all the sides. And he knew, David knew that it wasn't his, his job to take revenge on Saul. He understood this. He understood that it wasn't him to do. He said, who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? The answer is no one. So even if Saul is this nasty guy, he is still God's anointed and no one can take his life without being guilty according to this verse. And David also knew that the timing, it wasn't right. It wasn't the right time because he knew that God would take care of it. In verse 10, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die just naturally or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So basically David's saying here that I know I know when, I don't, excuse me, he doesn't know. I don't know when and how God is going to do this. But one thing is sure that I know that it's not my job to take revenge. Okay? In the same way, it's not our place to take revenge, even if we're, even if we're wronged. Now, do we try to resolve the situation? Of course we do. We fight tooth and nail to get the truth out and to try to resolve and come to a place of peace. But resolving is not taking revenge. Those are two completely different things. And there's one other thing to kind of consider here on this. And there's one thing about, you know, trying to get uh, revenge for people. And I read this and I, want, and, and I wanted to read it here. It says that the saddest part about trying to get even is it makes you and I a perpetual victim of the person that you're trying to get even with. Revenge makes you go through the hurt over and over again. And you never really get over it. And ultimately, it drags you down to the same level of the person or persons who wronged you. And then another person said this, that seeking revenge is like drinking poison and praying for the other person to die. It's an all-consuming emotion that destroys you from the inside out. And I think this kind of tells us why God doesn't want us to take revenge ourselves. That we need to leave it to him. That he's perfectly capable of righting wrongs done to us in his own way and his own time. 
And that leads us then to our fourth and final lesson here. Be faithful to God and trust Him for the unknown. David did not have any easy answers for the situation that he was going through. He doesn't have answers to all the whys that things, things are happening in his life. But the one thing that David knew for sure, he says in verse 23, that the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. Friends, we have to trust that God knows what he's doing and that he will reward us according to our righteousness and faithfulness, as David said. There's something here that's very clear that we can learn from David. In all the years that he has been chased and he's hiding and running for his life, David did not lose faith in God. And at least in this time in his life, he stays righteous and he stays faithful to God. He didn't take matters into his own hands. And he let God be God. God David trusted God to make all the difference and, and do what he needed to do for him. And he waited for God to work his plan while he's running for his life. So, Friends, there's, there's going to be unknowns in our life. Isn't it true? We may have an unknown come into our life tomorrow. We may have a situation that invades our life that, 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 we, that is completely unfair. But we know that we are not unknown to God, are we? Mm-mm. And that's where our trust has to come into. God will reward the righteous and faithful. Worship team, do you want to come on up and we'll, we'll finish this up here? All right, a lot of things to learn from David. David is a very interesting character. As we continue on and we find out, and, and uh, sometime eventually as we get into 2 Samuel, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. But let me close by asking you this thing here. I was wondering, did you see the gospel in this story? Did you see Jesus in this story at all? It's kind of there on the surface somewhat. It's, it's you have Saul, and he, he's this, this bitter, angry man. He, he represents, you know, us, in our sin, apart from God, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? And so, he, you know, he's living to get even. He has, he has uh, just ugliness in himself, you know, sin and envy. And when he's confronted with his evil deeds, the only thing he can say is, I have sinned. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I have sinned. And then we have David. David is a picture of Jesus, right? When David said to Saul, I value your life. Today, I'm not going to kill you. I risked my life for you. Doesn't it sound a lot like Jesus? In the upper room in Romans John 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And we might say maybe Saul is not David's friend. They were friends at one time. I think David still really loved Saul. But if not... Neither were we when Jesus died for us. We weren't his friends. Romans 5.10 says, When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Here is the wonder of the gospel. Through the death of Jesus Christ, God takes his enemies and he makes them friends. And folks, maybe this morning you're here and uh, you know, you've learned some things, but 
But maybe you're struggling with this idea that you're not God's friend, that you're not Jesus' friend. And maybe today is the day that you need to become friends with Jesus. And it all starts with admitting that you are not perfect, that you are a sinner. You have not followed God. And it follows with confessing this to him and asking for forgiveness and accepting and believing that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins so that you might live with him forever to cleanse you, that you could become a friend of Jesus. If that is your heart this morning, if you want to become a friend of Jesus and becoming a friend of Jesus means so much more than just a friend. It's what we would call salvation. It would be what we would call being born again, becoming a new person. Uh, why don't you pray with me? And I'll pray, and you can, if you agree with this prayer then, and, uh, and really mean it, then you will have accepted Jesus, and he will be your friend. It's not a magic prayer. It's just an issue and an attitude of your heart towards God. Let's pray. Father, we just um, we come to you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who who you are and what you've done, how you use David and Abigail to teach us. But this morning, for anybody here who wants to become a friend of Jesus, pray along with me. Father God, I have not followed you. I am a sinner. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to become your friends. Lord, I confess that to you. I ask that you would forgive me for my sins towards you, that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness and that I would be filled new with you. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me, for the sins that I did, to pay for that. And because of that, and because he rose again and conquered death, I believe in him and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior this day, right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.